we're going to look through the rest of the Sunday papers now. Dr. Kira Kelly and uh, Eno Doherty, columnist with the Irish Independent, to join us. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, Shane. Good morning. Uh, let's start with that Business Post uh, story. It's um, Kira Kelly. This is uh, I, I just this this story makes me really uncomfortable. The idea of a student being denied a place in a course that's there. Because somebody high up in a university thinks, you know what, we don't want this course to drop below whatever it is, 500 points or 450 points. It's clearly an academic snobbery, Shane. Um, I mean, there's nothing in it for the colleges per se to turn away students because they get funding based on student numbers. So for them to, to leave their course places unfilled makes no sense to the college at all um, because they're missing out themselves and obviously the students are missing out who, who miss the points by by a small amount but obviously there are, are various academics sitting in, in ivory towers who are saying oh no no my course is, is not a 495 course it's a 500 course and, and, and that's all I can I can put this down to it's some kind of a, um, academic snobbery which is playing with people's lives. You yeah. Know, well, you see, this is the, the interesting thing is that every year that there's a survey of international universities that comes out, and it seems that every year Irish universities fall even further in the table. So, if you have, so on the one hand, we want our universities to be more prestigious. We want them to be attracting international students. So the idea of actually then sort of manipulating uh, the admissions to certain prestigious courses would certainly seem to make sense if it makes it more elite and so forth. That's fine, but you have to actually factor in the human equation that basically you're you're telling kids that if they work really, really hard for five years, that, you know, the whole point of working hard is that there is a reward at the end of it. Now, if you do your best and you don't get through, that's a valuable life lesson. If you do your best, you get through, and then you're refused because of a a, a college who wants to improve its... its you an know, arbitrary, it's, it's pretty much and an it's, arbitrary it's, line in the sand. That's a, that's, a, that's a really unfortunate life lesson to learn at a really uh, bad time to be learning it, when that actually, you've done the job, you've done all the work, you've actually managed to get in, you've managed to, qual- well, sorry, you've managed to qualify for entry, but you're not allowed in. And I don't think that the rankings of colleges are actually based on the points entry system anyway, so I don't think this is going to do anything to further yeah. the prestige of, of Irish university courses. I think this is about massaging the ego of, of people who, you know, from the dean down in various courses. It's not the most prestigious courses they're talking about. It's not the really high points ones like physio and all that they're talking about here. It seems to be your more middle ranking sort of ones that don't want to be low points courses. But, but, this, terrible, but it also plays to this thing that I, is one of the problems I think of the points race that a course is, is only worth doing if it's high points. And you, I think you have students picking certain courses because they're high points courses, not not because it's the course that's most suited to them, isn't that? And it plays to that, Kira, doesn't it? Well, the, there's always been that that idea, and certainly I know in medicine, people have often said people just go for it because it's it's top points. That you know, they I think people go for medicine though because it's a prestige about about medicine rather than the points. Is Maybe, it? but there certainly are other courses that are high points that people seem to think are valuable on the basis that they're high points, but. I think that's kind of a bit of cardiology. I think people externally rate courses for the value of the course well, or the value of the I, subjects. I remember people in college who were kind of geniuses who got kind of virtual straight A's and people were saying, well, why did you only do arts, for example? Well, I mean, I, I use the term only advisedly in inverted commas, but people said, well, because that's the course I wanted to do. But the people almost saw it as a waste of points, Ian. Well, there, there is this thing that, I mean, if, if, if you have the, the intellectual rigour to get 600 points for some really sort of elite course that you should go ahead and do it. But if really what you want to do is just read poetry and maybe become a poetry lecturer down, you know, in a few years' time... And then well, you, you can do other things with arts now, friends. Really, you're, you're, Shane? You're going to defend arts Shane's now. Achilles yeah, heel no, here. No, um, but it's... 
Look, the thing about it is, is that it's, it's the real. We still have the Irish Navy syndrome of basically, if a kid is really bright, well then he should go in. It's got to be law, dentistry, or medicine. You know, basically, do the job that the mummy. Stop always looking at me. <laughs> I, 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 actually, I, I, medicine <laughs> wasn't your first choice. Actually, no. you, know, you were, you were, uh, you were went into finance. First, I did. I, least, I, I yeah, I did. What the hell was I thinking? But anyway, medicine is kind of out of the equation now because don't they? It's not just points. No, it's not because they they also have a secondary a, a bedside manner uh, test. Uh, sort of. It's actually a get more boys into medicine test, but. Okay. There you go. Is a bedside manner not the most overrated thing a doctor can possibly have? Okay. No, Seriously, I mean, I, I, no I, I, it's I, I've not. I've seen it before when I've been dealing with consultants to do with family members and things like that, and none of them have had a good bedside manner, and I don't care, because when I go in to get my car fixed, I don't want the mechanic to say, are you feeling okay? I want him to fix the bloody car. <laughs> you know, I don't It's care. a little different, though, isn't it? It totally bed, bedside, is. Bedside manner is the least important requirement for me. In a medical service. Just do the job. Okay, well, listen, we're going to be coming back to bedside manner because we're going to be talking about Tinder uh, in a a little (laughs) bit. Um, Let's talk about on a much. uh, Well, uh, sorry, that story is serious and it's a a really good story by Michael Brennan. But let's talk about another story that literally is a a life and death issue, and that's the issue. A lot of coverage today uh, of Europe's migrant crisis. And very interesting, Songs of Praise uh, on the BBC is coming from, is it a, 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 a makeshift it's church from, in it's Calais? It's a chapel in what's known as the jungle in Calais. In Calais. Camp Calais. And, and it's caused a bit of controversy in the UK. Which is, I have to say, now, I, to put my cards on the table, I'm not religious, I don't watch Songs of Praise, and I don't think those migrants should be there. I don't think they should ever have got as far as Calais, right? That's another story. I think this is brilliant by the BBC. I actually think, if you're a religious programme, this is what religious programs are meant well, to be I mean, doing, you know, even the, though I disagree with The them, classic question, what would Jesus have done? What would Jesus have done? You know, he'd be um, there in Calais washing feet, basically, wouldn't he? I don't mean that in the glitch sense. I always find very would. presumptuous when people feel that they can, you know, talk with a uh, qualification on what the son of the creator of the universe would have done. And then it's like saying... What would, well, if broadcasters I, can't do I, that, no, it's, who like saying, it's a bit like saying, who would Jesus have supported? You know, United or Chelsea, we don't know. But no, I actually do think that it's a really good... I would have thought Arsenal, but anyway, go on. Oh, God. Oh, please. Um, no, but I do actually think that, as I said, I'm not religious. I don't watch Songs of Praise. I don't think the migrants uh, should even be there. But for a programme like Songs of Praise to go over, I think it's actually it's a really good, ballsy thing to do. And also, if you look at the people who are infuriated by this decision, um, these are the kind of people we really should be offending on a regular like basis. Like so, UKIP and... Well, yeah, some of them are... Uh, it's not even... I mean, I don't have a huge problem with Farage, but it's some of the crankier... Um, fustier old Tory MPs and stuff like that and they're using it's like oh why are we paying the, the, the licence fee for the BBC um, I would like to see both sides lose if that was possible but it's not a fair world so we won't I actually think it's a really really good piece of uh, guerrilla religious broadcasting you can imagine though you can imagine the Conservative head office saying this is a dig at the Tories because David Cameron famously yeah. what did what term did he uh, he was accused of dehumanising yeah, the, the migrants the um, well, as you see, this and, and this I mean the language has been hugely emotive about yeah. the migrant crisis but this this very much humanises them doesn't it of course it does and you know what it is it makes people who want to sort of close off their borders and close off their minds to the suffering of these people it makes them uncomfortable because you're having a religious broad you know because a lot of those people would see themselves as conservative Christians and would see themselves as having broadly Christian values but they mean that in the socio-cultural conservative sense rather than the you know hippie uh, reach out and, 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 and you know extend the milk of human kindness to people kind of yeah, way. Which is something you know Darty, you could never be accused of um, what, having uh, any uh, shred uh, of decency. No or no hippie human kindness <laughs> <or> <laughs> no I meant the hippie uh, milk of, um, you, you were writing about this in the, in the Irish Independent yesterday yeah. you, I mean you took a pretty strong line you said this idea of no borders is for the birds. It's, but it, 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 it's, it's deranged 
changed and it's dangerous and it's unworkable. And Tell us why you think that. Well, basically what people are talking about is that they see a couple of emotive pictures and things like that and they go, oh, we should have no borders. And there was a protest outside the Department of Justice in Dublin last week and people had no borders. A few years ago, anybody who said no borders was justifiably seen as a crank and a lunatic and probably part of the international anarchist socialist movement, right? Um, if you get rid of borders, there's chaos, right? It's as simple as that. Nobody's been able to come up with a workable solution of what we're going to do other than keep them out of Europe. And this is something I stand over. This is not our problem. It's going to swamp. The pure, we're committing demographic suicide. We're in the process of it, right? There's more people who want to come in than there are in Europe. If you... I've always said, now, let them all in, right? Let's get rid of borders. Let's say the passports and, you know, let's say the idea of, you know, having paid tax into a system all your life. Let's say all that's, you know, racist and it's offensive. Let them all in. What are you going to do? How are you going to pay for it? Nobody can come up with that answer because there isn't one. Kira? I, I think it's a happy medium that's required. Um, I think even the term migrant is, is a bit disingenuous because a lot of people are genuinely refugees. But, I mean, Kira, if they were refugees, they would have stopped in the first port. We called Mark in the studio and he, 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 almost, he slightly took issue with me using the word. What's wrong with being a migrant? I, I don't think it's viewed as a pejorative term. But it, it, it's denying the fact that they're refugees. And refugees have always been seen in a different um, way to ordinary migrants who are economic migrants. I mean, Ireland has but Ian's, Ian's Ian's point, uh, I think, is a valid one. If they're getting trying to get from France to the UK, then they are migrants. They're not if refugees. They're anymore. not refugees. Is that not a fair point? It's kind of semantics, though, because the reality of it is if you're fleeing from a war-torn, famine-stricken country, th- then you are, by definition, a refugee. Clearly, if you move from the... Take the girl with the, with the 575 points. She she is an asylum seeker. She didn't... We aren't her first port of call. You can't get directly from the Ukraine to Ireland. So, so clearly, she went via somewhere else, but she's going through our asylum-seeking uh, process. This is this is the, the the thing. There are people out there who are living in tented camps with children. They're dying of starvation. They're dying of 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 disease and, and poor sanitation and basic, you know, the lack of, of of shelter, food, health, those kinds of things. Do we completely close our mind to that fact? I don't think we can. Can we allow there to be no borders? No, I don't think we can do that either. But I think we have to have some kind of a a humane system for treating people who are coming from famine-stricken and war-torn countries in a, in a fair and humane way because it isn't enough to just close our and be fortress Europe and close our, our borders and our minds to the suffering of people. They are refugees, a lot of people. And just because they've migrated up through Europe and want to get to Northern Europe rather than Southern Europe, are we really going to say that Southern Europe has to take all of this? Because obviously, you know, they're landing on the, well, on the beaches pro- in we, Greece, we, we they're landing in Turkey. processing centres along the coast of North Africa. Um, you and proce- do what you, with you, the people? You, you process applicants there. And if they don't get, the, the simple fact of the matter is that Europe, the West, right, that's brought it out, you know, can't be expected to take in everybody who's had a bad life in Africa or the Middle East. We simply cannot do it. And it's all very well... You see, <clears throat> nobody ever lost friends in Ireland by saying we should take everybody in. And they come out with the fatuous line that we had people in the family who emigrated from here. They're two completely different um, arguments. There's no analogy really there between them. And the simple fact is, what's the right amount? Is it 100? Is it 1,000? Is it 5,000? Is it 10,000? And... We have to look at this logically rather than emotively. And it's interesting that you'll have, like David, you mentioned David Cameron, he got absolutely hammered um, for using the word swarm. And then there's, a, you know, there's, a, as Kira said, there's this semantic row, like, are they migrants or are they refugees? Um, it's easy to get really hung up and to posture that you're furious about a word that you don't like, because that's a great distraction. What we're going through with this debate is the greatest distraction of our political era. Um, it's 
so people obsess about migrant or people obsessed about swarm they're not actually looking at the real issue and the real issue is that none of them nobody on the sort of the the open minded attitude has any workable solutions other than let them in because that will make us feel better and we'll feel that we're doing our humane duty what do you do then do you want to end up in a situation like Gothenburg in Sweden for example which is you know becoming the most racially divided uh, city in Europe now at this stage this is Sweden right um, tolerant uh, liberal yeah, and not Sweden. anymore. The, the, the rise of the right in Sweden, although my favourite was that um, <clears throat> uh, there was a gay uh, pride rally, a Swedish gay pride rally uh, a couple of weeks ago that deliberately walked down through a Muslim area. And the Swedish left said, no, this is this is racist against Muslims. It's deliberately provocative. And this was a classic case of when rights collide. <laughs> you know, it was brilliant. And this is where the left will eat it. This is where the left will ultimately eat itself. Because when everybody has so many rights, they will always collide. But the thing is, when people are getting more annoyed about the language that's used than the simple fact of the matter is that every refugee or migrant that dies coming across the Med, their blood is on the hands of the people who want to continue to allow them to come over. Right. The le- That's simply the, not true. The blood is on the hands of the people who want this to continue. It's as simple as that. Whereas you can actually stop the problem at source or slow or staunch the bleeding at source. It won't be as popular. It won't be as pretty. You won't have as many sort of feel-good stories with the LEF and the picking people up and stuff like that that make us all feel good about it. But it might actually bring a practical solution to it. And so what we need to do is get rid of the emotive language and just actually do something to stop the problem. That's, that's simply not true. And, and the, fair, the, the fact of the matter is this, is while the circumstances those people live in continue to be as dire as they are, they will always leave. And there is an analogy with the famine, not maybe with the fact that people are going to America, which was underpopulated and, and needed people and all that, but with what drove the migration. If you starve people and impoverish people and leave them in, in an unfair society, they will attempt to leave. And the only other solution, if you ask them for other solutions, the only other solution that, that is a possibility in the, in the current sort of Syrian crisis is if there is a massive international movement to stabilise Syria and to stabilise what's going on in Syria and to provide Easier people... Said than well, told, exactly, exactly. I mean, is, you know, is I don't, I'm not suggesting that, that is, is the possibility. Do you agree with Ian, though, that this is a problem? that almost doesn't have a solution, or certainly no obvious solution. There is no simple solution, and I don't think there's any quick solution. But I, I, I think it's not in any way true to suggest that people who, who are um, supporters of, of a degree in migration are the people who have blood in their hands. I Absolutely, think that we, of I, course they do. They're encouraging people to come over. If people knew... If people but they're not knew coming they, because of the encouragement, they're coming they because of what's driving them out of their country. They're coming over, they're paying the people. So look, the simple fact of the matter is that the, the, if the smugglers, for example, knew that their boats were going to be shot up, they would stop doing it, right? The Libyan government, such as it is, said, asked the Western powers not to damage any boats because the people smugglers also use them for fishing. And that would actually Jesus, interrupt their you can't actually suggest we should gun down the boats. No, what I'm saying is that if you destroy enough things, you have to go in and destroy things that remove, degrade their ability. I'm not saying gun down boats when there's migrants in them, right? But if you degrade the ability simply to even get across the Met, that as a start, we'll start saving lives. So if everybody's so interested in migrants' lives, as we should be, we are human beings, this isn't a case of stranger danger or xenophobia. This is you know, pure practicality. If you remove the people smuggler's ability to actually smuggle the people across the Mediterranean, that will be extremely unpopular, but it will start saving lives. So I either people care about being seen to be beyond pounds on good thinkers, or they actually care about saving lives. I don't agree for a moment. Very briefly, at, at the end of the day, people are leaving for a reason. They're not leaving because they think Europe is so great. They're leaving because Syria is so bad. But they're so not bad. because it's so bad. I mean, but they're leaving uh, because Syria is so bad and they will find other ways, increasingly dangerous ways to escape their country. And then we okay. just start shutting them down as, as we have to. It's as simple. Because th- th- this isn't going away. This is, this is going to be the big political problem of our generation yeah. and our children's generation. I suspect Songs of Praise will probably have higher uh, viewership figures than, than uh, normal on the BBC. Well, it's a great piece of mischief. I really do. Yeah. Even though I disagree with them, I think it's a great piece of mischief. Okay,
Nick coming up um, on the Sunday show we're going to be talking Irish and international politics with Brendan Halligan we're also going to be talking about this year's GA Championship and how it might be changed for the better and we'll have more from Kira and Ian on this morning's uh, papers including Donald Trump versus Selena Scott remember her and Tinder dating and sex in Ireland coming up Welcome back to Sunday Show, Shane Coleman, with you until noon today. Now, Dr. Kira Kelly and uh, Ian O'Darty, columnist with the Irish Independent, are here going through the Sunday papers. Big, big text reaction to what we were talking about before the break, particularly the issue of uh, migration and the fact that uh, Songs of Praise are doing their um, their, their special mass from a, uh, a church in uh, Calais today. Uh, it's really important to distinguish between refugees and migrants. Shane, migrant is just a valid English word. I'm sick of loonies trying to reinvent the English language. We cannot abandon passports ports or we'll have more Islamic state cells here. Let's have common sense. Of course it's something to do with us. Who invaded Iraq? I mean, I'm not sure you can blame the invasion of Iraq on, on this now or whatever. Uh, remember, these are British Protestants and not known for their Christianity. It's more a community club and identity. I imagine uh, Anglicans might take some... Um, um, they might disagree with that a little bit. <laughs> some of Britain's finest charitable institutions might have... A, a yeah, some of them do describe themselves as belongers rather than believers. Well, yeah, okay. Um, Ollie says Jesus would have been a rugby fan as we know he was a big man for the conversions oh Ollie very good um on the issue of the points in that Sunday Business Post story that colleges were gaming the CEO points raised to use that phrase in the headline uh, but Shane has anyone considered that maybe college authorities don't want dropouts lower point students not being up to those higher points courses we're talking about 495 points as against 500 points I don't think that 5 points is going to be absolutely critical as to whether or not somebody stays in uh, and another listener says it's not about maintaining standards it's about maintaining standards and not dumbing down how does it dumb down to have somebody on 495 points doing the course rather than 500 points. I just don't understand it. This, I think Kira Kelly was right. How did you describe it? Intellectual snobbery or I something? I think so, yeah. I think Academic snobbery. Academic snobbery. That's exactly what it's about. Uh, okay, I want to turn to a piece, uh, Selena Scott. Remember her, uh, the um, newsreader uh, from the, I suppose, 1980s and, and early 1990s. She's written a piece in today's Sunday Times about Donald Trump. Absolutely fascinating piece. Just before uh, we go to the guys, here's Donald Trump talking to Ruby Wax in a TV programme a few years ago about Selena Scott. I mean, I think she was a terrible reporter, totally got it wrong. As proven, here I am, bigger and better than ever. <laughs> For all of my folks in Glasgow and in Scotland. What's what's the vibe? Well, I just think your show won't turn out well, but that's only from, from all the questions. All of my shows turn out well, though. Well, I think it's somewhat of a comedy show to start off. No, you know, I've done I mean, like... You're looking for laughs, so you want to try and make me look as bad as possible. I don't that's think okay. I am, Donald. You know what? Selena Scott made me look as bad as possible. Selena Scott. Where is she now? Where, Where is she now? Where Whatever happened to Selena Scott? <laughs> Whatever happened to Selena Scott? Well, she's in writing in the Sunday Independent today. Um, Kira Kelly, uh, sorry, Sunday Times today. Uh, Kira, it's a really interesting piece by Selena Scott. It really it? is, and it, it casts a great uh, deal of insight, I think, on, on into the psyche of, of Donald Trump. She describes how she went over and did a quite, a, you know, an in-depth interview. She was, do, she with was him. doing a documentary. She was on. with him for several days. She flew to Miami with him. She was in New York with him. But a very interesting thing happened. There was a glitch in in the recording, and they had to interview him twice. But when they interviewed him twice, they were able to compare the two reels. 
and the guy contradicted himself all over the place. He was flying in a, in, in a helicopter over Manhattan and says, oh, look at that. Do you know what that is? And she goes, yes, the Empire State Building. I own that. And, and she's like, really? All of it? Yep, 100%. And then later on, he said, well, 40%. And then later on, he said, oh, a bit less than that. Like, he's this kind of bombastic braggart, really, isn't he? And, and, she and stitched him up. I, I, I don't agree at no, all. No, the thing is... He deserves people, so, stitching up. Well, that, no, that's fair enough. I wouldn't disagree with him on the idea that he deserves to be stitched up, but he, it, it was a complete stitch up. I, I think, I'm, I, think I agree with you. That's the oldest trick in the book of gotcha journalism is to say, oh, we had a glitch. Can we do it again? That yeah, but the here's the thing. If you stick to your guns and tell the truth, then you've nothing to fear from that. Yeah, you? but I do think if I had an interview with someone and it didn't, I, I thought it was a technical problem and that person agreed to sit down with me a second time. I'm not sure it's fair game to compare and contrast the two interviews. I think there's an implicit agreement that the first agreement is gone. Yeah, or the first interview it, is it, gone. It's fair game now that he's standing for office. But back then, he was just another Egypt American billionaire kind of thing. Mm. And it was, if I recall that piece, I mean, it was actually, it was a really sort of spiteful, sneery kind of thing. It was like, um, I had some of the worst successes of a Louis Theroux kind of documentary, except she's not Louis Theroux, if you know what I mean. And it was like... She's a better looking Louis Theroux. Well... I wouldn't know, necessarily um, agree with that. No. Oh, really? Okay. I, I, I find that remark sexist and it objectifies <laughs> men and I, you know... No, yes, the thing, it the, does. The, the, look, the thing about it is, is that I think my initial I would have no, I wouldn't have any great time for Selena Scott. <laughs> but the, the problem that I have with Trump is that I constantly have found myself for years defending sort of American politics to Irish people who go, they're, you know, they're all gun nuts and they're all religious idiots and, you know, all these kind of cliches. And then along comes Trump and you kind of go, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm yeah. not defending. I get, you know, I mean, if it was up to me, it'd be Ron Paul and Ben Carson. That's, that yeah. ain't going to happen, you know. And, I mean, whatever about what Selena Scott did, I mean, the kind of way he bombarded her with messages and letters afterwards. Oh, he literally harassed her. He threatened her. He said he would ruin her. He threatened ITV, who who made the documentary. He he's a very aggressive and bullying. First, he kind must of be man. tearing his hair out after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that, we won't go there yeah, on that one. That, 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 although, listen, Donald Trump, I you know, he's put himself out there. He's running for president, and every single day of the week, he makes an, another offensive remark to somebody or about somebody but or another ill-informed remark. He, he he had a tweet yesterday about about you know kids getting autism from vaccines. The man is a you know, he's punching above his weight in terms of what, what attention the media and is possibly giving. Possibly going to win the Republican Can you imagine? Is, every Shocking. time, I've spent for the last three months, there's been a, uh, probably every week, I would have watched the TV and gone, that's it, he's gone, he's done, there's no coming back from that. And I actually thought what he said about McCain. Yeah. That for me was by far the worst, yeah. most egregious thing. Yeah. And I thought there's no way in the States you get to diss the veterans. You just don't do that yeah. and yet somehow he's so at this stage I'm quite happy to publicly admit I haven't a clue how this one's going to go and the things nobody does it's, it's you know it's it's that old sort of cliche that Trump would probably like you know we're through the looking glass here people uh, I, should, I think the Simpsons should predicted be they did 15 years ago the Simpsons said President Trump would be in the White House um, you have to bear in mind yeah, his popularity ratings are holding and he is like practically the front runner although his unpopularity ratings are enormous. Yeah, there's I, don't, a third, I, don't, I don't think a he third, can win a general yeah, there's election. There's a third of Republicans who say they will not vote for Trump under any circumstance, okay. you know, even if he is the presidential nominee. Lots of coverage. Uh, let's move on to a different topic. Lots of uh, coverage across the papers today on Tinder because of this row between Vanity Fair, uh, because Vanity Fair basically uh, dished Tinder. Um, you know, Donnie, just... Uh, what, like what, I suppose, explain Tinder to to, to maybe listen to, them, to, them to listeners of our vintage um, who, who might know about it. To listeners of our vintage, Tinder is exactly the kind of. Thing
thing that we really wish had existed in 2018, <laughs> right? And so when you read all the media stories today, all the newspaper stories, they call them moral panic and things like that, it's written by journalists who are at least in their 40s and they're bloody jealous that such a great thing wasn't around at the time. It's Tinder, of course, are saying it's this dating site and it's how it helps people build relationships and it makes the world... No, 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 it's a hookup. It's a hookup device. Um, I've actually seen it, 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 it's gay friend uh, Grinder in action and it was the only time I've ever actually felt uh, jealous of my gay friends because it just seemed like the ultimate thing for didn't, casual didn't sex. did the it presenter of, New, of Newsnight um, get into trouble for saying it, it, it and I, th- I think he's gay himself. Davis is gay and he uh, actually said that Tinder was a bit, that it now allowed uh, straight people to behave like gay lads and like sort of, and all the gay lads went mental and they said this is homophobic but I mean I remember I've always said it, like, the reason why gay men have more sex on straight men isn't because they're gay it's because they're men right <laughs> and that's not homophobic that is merely a statement of fact it's not because there's any <laughs> massive difference in gay you know in, in the biology or the psychology of gay it's because there's because they're blokes and basically if you, let, if you give blokes you take women out of the equation take the civilizing equation take the civilizing influence out of the equation look let's put it this way no, I mean, if I was a gay lad I wouldn't be here I'd be off having sex That's because that's what most of my mates are doing who are gay you know? like, so there's, there's nothing homophobic with that they have more sex because they're lads and because they can ok on, the, on behalf of the, uh, the civilised uh, sex if you, uh, oh, if I'm you want the to put it that way I don't want to say the civilised part of the studio it's going to get very annoying um, I I'm a man in a woman's body what can I say um, the, the, the row anyway was because a journalist on in Vanity Fair, basically said uh, pretty much what Ian said. This is a, this is yes, a hookup. And, and Tinder said, and "No, no, we, we, we're, we're forging re- relationships." Look, oh, I think oh, I agree with practically everything Ian just said. Uh, I think we, we, you know what you cannot impose sexual mores on, on the generation that's coming behind you. They, they will always do it differently. We never dated in Ireland when I was well, when I was in my twenties. Yeah, that's not how Nadine it works. O'Regan makes this point in the Sunday Visible. She has a piece about it as well and she's saying it actually introduces the concept of dating to Ireland as opposed to... The only question is, is that a good thing or is that not a good thing? Because there is something very much kind of like consumerist, I think, about dating. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try this and then I'll see if I like it, see if I don't, I might give it back. And, and, and I suppose largely that's what's happened always in relationships or, or hookups or whatever. But it wasn't quite done like that back in the day. And, and you know what? I'm not going to wax lyrical about how it was done because times have moved on. This is the new thing. But I think Tinder is quite funny in Ireland because like the likes of Dublin or Cork or whatever, they're very small towns, mm. really. And I, I imagine the kind of past the parcel thing, there must be an awful lot of overlap and uh, a couple of... Um, quite amusing things coming from it. But I actually found it, but there was a certain... But you know, I, I, I am now, sadly, um, I was just thinking before I came out, at one point a while ago I was an angry young man and then I woke up and became the grumpy old bugger. I went, well, how did that happen, <laughs> you know? Um, but, I mean, when I, you know, when I was younger, it was basically... It was it was the underground, it was the Bagot Inn, it was McGonagall's, and it was the International. And that was the only way you'd ever get to meet women. And there was no dating, but the thing about it is, is that if you went to... I mean, I knew if I went to see a house in McGonagall's and I met a girl there... She was okay by me because she liked a house. Yeah. And it's, you know, but it was a, I don't know whether that was a more innocent way or just whether it was just a more idiotic way or we didn't have this kind of the levels of information around. But I mean, I find something very artificial about the concept of dating. I think it was a more inefficient way, actually. I think this is a more efficient way of getting through, the, getting through you know, swipe, oh. swipe, swipe. Okay, but is there something, is it, is it being sort of prudish and, you know, uh, sort of taking the high moral ground to say, you know what, maybe there is something a little bit empty and shallow about this. Since when did empty and shallow become bad things? <laughs> I think it depends on what you want. Neve Warren was writing about it today in Sunday, Sunday Independent. She, was well, she, that, yeah, that she says women are the losers. She says the women are the losers because feminism has allowed women to behave like men, but 
instinctively or inherently we don't want to behave like men because we're looking for depth and we're looking for meaning and we're looking for emotional attachment and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as you know me long of old chain, I would say, look, we're looking for all sorts of things and women are too. And some women are looking for depth and meaning and all that kind of stuff. And equally, some women are but looking, to, looking to hook up with somebody for the night. I would be and, curious. And, and, and hmm. why not? Well, is the tender, is the, the Neve's argument about tender sort of, you know, it's not great for women, is that almost gone back into the same argument that people use about the pill? not being great for women. I think the sexual revolution not yeah. being great for women. I, 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 I consider the oral contraceptive pill the finest invention of the okay, 20th listen, century. We're, we're almost out of time and I do want to get to one last topic and that's um, uh, in early the, uh, the Chelsea doctor uh, row. We're, we're almost out of time but what what is your take on Is it It's not sexist. Mourinho's a jerk. If Mourinho actually spoke with a Geordie accent and he'd red hair everybody would think he was a pig who should have nothing to do with the game um, he's pulled the wool over people's eyes for long enough he's a very successful coach um, he's bad. he is bad for the game instinctively I would agree with you about it not being sexist but there are reports coming from sort of uh, journalists who would have good, good Chelsea sources saying some of the players didn't well, like the idea I, I, of I having would, a, a would, woman would, doctor would, because they couldn't her, behave I, I like would, lads I would get rid of her on that basis alone if that is the case basically if you have a dressing room that's worth over half a billion pounds and if they don't like somebody there, it's tough on the person they don't like, but you're keeping them happy. You don't turn around to players who are worth that amount of money and say, well, it's a, you know, it's 2015, we're all part of you, you know, and we were, if they don't like her, get rid of her. Kira, as a doctor, I mean, the idea that she shouldn't have answered the call, the referee, Michael Oliver, said, come on to the pitch. Oh, no, she had to answer the call, but the thing, just, just to address the thing about whether or not it was sexist or, or a woman or whatever, the reality of it is, is that women often choose female doctors, men often choose male doctors, and it's one of the areas where I think you have to allow people to make a gender choice because your relationship with your doctor should be one of mutual understanding and trust and all that sort of stuff, and it's it's, if you thought you couldn't have a female doctor because she couldn't do the job, that would be a nonsense because, of course, she can. But if you thought you wanted to have somebody you could relate because to slightly you, differently... Well, or because you couldn't crack, jo- uh, basically, sexist jokes or you couldn't uh, act the lad in the dress room. Is that this a legitimate is, reason? This is a fairly common story that we see coming out of know. American football. And things like that. There's more, you know, whether it's sort of female uh, sports reporters or female physios. And, things like and a lot of players basically just don't, like, wander around naked in the dress room and things like that. I mean... They prefer to until they get to nightclubs before they start parading themselves. Okay. Listen, we're out out of time. Uh, Dr. (laughs) Kira Kelly. uh, (laughs) Dr. Kira Kelly and Ian Dardy, columnist with the Irish Independent. Um, Thanks to both of you for coming in.